Well, good evening, friends. I trust you uh, picked a sermon outline uh, up when you came in this evening, and that will help you as we um, study this passage this evening, which is Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're looking at verses 33 to 37. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 is found on page 1116 in the Pew Bible. So Matthew 5, verse 33. Listen, this is God's Word. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. My children, I wondered if you can answer me this question, a little bit easier than this morning's question. Uh, can you tell me the name of the wooden puppet who struggled to tell the truth? See any of the younger kids now? Okay. Do you have it, Walter? You know what's going on when he tells a lie. Pinocchio, yes. And when Pinocchio tells a lie, what happens? His nose grows long. Exactly. Okay. Well, I've not seen any of your noses grow long. Does that mean that you never tell a lie? Well, the reality is we all lie. Some maybe more than others, but we are all liars. We all struggle to tell the truth. And there was a scientific study that find, found that Americans lie on average 11 times a week. People are more likely to lie on the phone than they are face-to-face. 21% of people admit to lying to avoid being around other people. And doctors are often on the receiving end of lies. 13% of patients admit to lying to their doctor. And those who've been to university are more likely to lie than those who haven't. I'm sure they didn't uh, assess IU students in that. <laughs> well, we live in a deceptive world. We struggle with the truth. And we see it right from the top. Our politicians are known for making promises that they will never keep. George Bush Sr. famously said in a speech, Read my lips, no new taxes. Sounds good, but two years later he signed a large tax increase. And so we see falsehoods everywhere, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our marriages. It's everywhere. And so I want you to notice from the sermon this evening, in Christ's kingdom, you are to be righteous in how you speak. But thankfully in Christ, there is forgiveness. And through him, you are able to speak the truth. And so, children, I encourage you to draw a picture of Pinocchio and show what happens to his nose when he tells a lie. And remember, 
you are to speak the truth, and in Christ you can. So firstly, your righteousness is to surpass that of the Pharisees in verse 20. So we're in this section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is expounding what it means in verse 20, or what he says in verse 20, that your righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees, or you'll not enter the kingdom of God. Now, don't forget, this is a shocking statement that Jesus is making. The Pharisees were seen as perfectly righteous. They were squeaky clean, or at least that was how they portrayed themselves. They kept the law, and they demonstrated this so everyone saw it. But did they really keep the law? And Jesus helps us see that the righteousness of the Pharisees was not that righteous. Outwardly, it looked good, but inwardly, their hearts were evil. What they actually did was they lowered the bar. The righteous standards that they attained, they were far below God's standards of righteousness. And we've seen this in a number of areas already. Yes, they did not murder, but they did hold to anger in their hearts, which Jesus said was as bad as murder. Yes, they did not commit adultery, but they did look lustfully in their hearts, which Jesus said was as bad as adultery. Yes, they followed the requirements of divorce by providing a certificate to their wife, but they were below the standard when it came to being a faithful husband and providing for their wife until death do they part. And today we see another area where the Pharisees lower the standards, and it's in regard to keeping oaths. And we'll look at that in a minute. What the Pharisees do is what we all do. They redefine God's law. They seek to make it more attainable. They look for the loopholes so they can get out of keeping the law. We often do the same. We come up with excuses. We say things like, well, God surely didn't mean that. Or it's different today. God will understand. And when we do that, we are undermining God's word. We compromise so we can enjoy the world and its standards. That's what our hearts want. But that's not how Christ's kingdom is to work. We're not to be looking for what we can get away with. We're not the ones who sets the rules. No, instead, you are to submit to Christ the King. You are ambassadors of the King. His values are your values. You are to display to this world the standards of your King. And this should be evident in your view of integrity, that you will only speak the truth. So secondly, you, under, you are to understand what the Pharisees are teaching on the swearing of oaths. Verse 33. So Jesus calls into question the teaching of the Pharisees. And he begins in this usual way. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And this is not teaching from specific laws of the Old Testament, for Jesus would have said, it is written. No, this is Jesus giving a summary of the Pharisees' teaching, which is their understanding of the law, or rather, misunderstanding of the law. Now, the Old Testament does speak about swearing an oath and how the Lord's name was not to be used falsely. And so, therefore, it is important to keep oaths. And we can read of this in Leviticus 19. You shall not steal 
nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In Numbers 30, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. But then fast forward to Jesus' day, and we see how the Pharisees, they take this teaching and they develop their own teaching. The Pharisees followed the Mishnah, which was a collection of Jewish writings and teachings, and they had a whole chapter dedicated to oath-taking and making promises. They refused to swear oaths to God, for that would profane his name, and so they used other things to swear by. But this would only give them wiggle room in how seriously they were to keep their promises. And so it was less about keeping the oaths that they had made. Instead, it was more about how they can get out of their oaths. They would twist them so they're no longer applicable. And Jesus condemns this in Matthew 23, where we read, Woe to, where he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it, fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He swears by the temple, swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So Jesus is saying, if you swear towards Jerusalem, or the Pharisees are saying, if you swear towards Jerusalem, your oath is binding. But if you swear only by Jerusalem, it's not binding. If you swear by the gold in the temple, your oath is binding. But if you swear only by the temple, it's not binding. Likewise, if you swear on the gift on the altar, it is binding. But if you swear only by the altar, it's not binding. And so John Stott says they shifted people's attention away from the vow itself and the need to keep it, instead to the formula used in making it. And so for the Pharisees, it all depended on what you're swearing by. That will determine how duty-bound you are to keep that oath. Well, it's no wonder that Jesus exposes this. But we're all tempted, like the Pharisees, to get out of the agreements that we have made or the social conventions that are out there. We use pathetic excuses. We often, it's often small things. So maybe you borrow something from a friend and you don't return it. You excuse it by saying to yourself, well, they never used it anyway. Or you don't show appreciation to someone who deserves it. Normally, you would give a generous gift, but because you think, well, that person's doing fine. He's lots of money. He can buy his own gift. He doesn't need me to give it to him. You don't do it. Or maybe you've parked, uh, someone's parked too close to you, 
and you accidentally bump into them and you don't get out and check, you don't own up, you drive away thinking, well, they deserved that for parking so close. There are many ways that you and I, we try and get out of our obligations by not being honest, by not being upfront. Well, thirdly, you're not to make frivolous oaths, verse 34 to 36. So Jesus turns it on its head, this idea that you can make a distinction between oaths that mention God and those that do not, or oaths that appear more holy than others because of what sacred object that you swear by. That's because the whole earth belongs to the Lord. And so it's impossible not to include God in it simply by not saying his name. Ferguson writes, no promise can ever be made, no word ever spoken without it being done in the presence of God. That's why he says, do not swear by heaven, that's God's throne. Don't swear by earth, that's God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for that's the city of the great king. Don't swear even by your head, for although it belongs to you, you have no control over it. You can't even decide what color your hair is, or at least the natural color. So Jesus is teaching that it doesn't matter what or who you swear by, that doesn't change anything. Your oath is always binding. John Stott says, if divorce is due to human hard-heartedness, swearing is due to human untruthfulness. Both were permitted by the law, neither was commanded, neither should be necessary. No wonder Jesus goes on and says, to make no oaths at all, do not swear at all. But maybe you're thinking, doesn't God himself make an oath? And we can read of this in Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. But this is not to do with God being untrustworthy. Instead, God makes his oath because it's a lack of our own belief. The promise here is to assure us as he guarantees his word. Doriani says, God does not take oaths because his credibility is in doubt, but because we, having told and heard so many lies, have learned to be doubters. Another question might be then, does this mean we should never swear, that we should never make an oath? never make a promise. That seems to be what Jesus is teaching. And so a number of Christian groups believe this, most famously the Quakers. They take a strict interpretation of this verse. And as a result, when in court, they will not swear in court. Instead, they will affirm that they will speak only the truth. Well, we live in a world of deception. There's much dishonesty. And as a result, this world will require an oath. And if you lie under oath, there are serious consequences for doing so. Now, oath should not be taken when you're with friends or when you're with family members. This is informal. There should already be a level of trust already established. 
But in more formal situations, maybe he's taking oath of citizenship or signing for property, wedding vows, even becoming a church member, these are times when you're willing to take an oath. You're willing to make a promise. They are a way to demonstrate your commitment that you're promising to make. Jesus himself, he was willing to break his silence when he was under oath in his trial. We can read of this in Matthew 26. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is not against oaths, but he is against frivolous oath-taking. John Stott, in regards to Jesus' teaching, said, Honest men do not need to resort to oaths, but it was not that they should refuse to take an oath if required by some external authority to do so. So there are times when oaths are placed upon us. On those occasions, it is okay to take them. Otherwise, you should refrain from making frivolous oaths and promises. Well, fourthly, consider you are to speak honestly or face judgment. Verse 37. We have to consider then, why would we ever use oaths or promises when we talk to our friends or to our family members? John Saltz writes, swearing, that is oath-taking, is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. So we make promises because we're not good at keeping our word. And so we have to tell people that we promise to do it. My kids like to use phrases like, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. As older people, we like to swear on our mother's graves, all in a way to say that we will do what we say we'll do. But in making a promise or an oath like these, we're missing the point. Not only does it break numerous commandments and wanting to die and wanting to inflict pain on oneself, it is a lack of recognition of God's authority. It's not about the authority of your dead mother. In fact, God is your witness. He, he hears what you say you will do. And so you are ultimately accountable to him, whether you make a promise or not. And when someone asks you to promise something, well, that is a sad reflection of how untrustworthy or how unreliable you are. My children often do this. They often ask us to promise something. That's simply to manipulate us, and we need to be careful not to encourage that mindset. But in general, you are to be people of your word. You don't need to make oaths to make you appear more honest. Yes means yes, and no means no. There's no need to call God as your witness, for he is always watching you. John Stott writes, Christians should say what they mean, and mean what they say. Well, why is telling the truth so hard? Well, there are a number of reasons. We want to be liked, and we say many things that we think will impress other people. 
And so we lie about our achievements. We want to look good. And so we overtalk how much we have achieved in the week, how great our gifts are, how special our relationships are, how much we've lifted in the gym, or how much we've begged in the kitchen this past week. And social media, it reinforces this when we post all the highlights of our lives. And so people think that we live these perfect lives when the reality is far from that. It's an exaggeration. Another reason we struggle with the truth is because the truth disappoints. And so we want to please people, and we tell them what they want to hear. That doesn't work so well when someone is asking a service from you. So can you help out at the youth group? Or can you help fix my car? And you keep telling them what they want to hear, but the reality is you can't do it. You have to be honest. Say you can't do it or you will only be seen as unreliable. Another reason is because we are careless with our words. Von Roberts, a pastor in Oxford, gives an example from his time in South Africa. When South Africans told him that they would be with him now, he expected their attention at that moment. He soon discovered that now does not mean now. Now means in a while. So now only means shortly. Just now means quite soon. Now, now, that means now. I'll be with you now has lost its meaning. And there are words that we use that have lost their meaning. How often do we use the words literally or honestly? I'm guilty of that. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's dumb. You shouldn't have to use these prefixes for you should always be speaking honestly or literally. Another way that we struggle with the truth is when we are evasive. Children are often good at speaking in a way that's revealing. And Ferguson gives this example of asking a child, did you take a cookie? And the child answers, I was watching television. And the adult says, I didn't ask whether you're watching television, I asked, did you take a cookie? And the child responds, there's another cookie in the box. No, did you take a cookie? Yes or no? That's the answer. We can all relate to this. Children do it. Adults do it too. We can be evasive in our truth-telling. As Christians, we are to be honest in our speech. Now, that doesn't mean we are to be outspoken or we are to be rude. No, but we are to speak the truth in love. Ferguson writes, truth is sacred and our speech should honor it. That is the value that Christ wants to see in his kingdom. Do we speak the truth or do we modify the truth? Are we trustworthy and do what we say we will do? James in his letter writes a lot about truth and he even takes up Jesus' teaching here. He says in chapter 5 verse 12, above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. The warning lest you fall into judgment is similar to Jesus' warning where he says all speech other than a straightforward yes or no is from the evil one. Well, Jesus defeated the evil one. He defeated Satan on the cross. And that defeat, that judgment 
awaits all who do not speak honestly or with integrity. Well, fifthly, notice in Christ there is forgiveness, and through him you are able to speak the truth. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Your speech reveals your heart. Your hearts are sinful. They are broken. And the Sermon on the Mount helps us see that we are not righteous, and nor are the Pharisees. No one is righteous. And so Jesus' teaching here, it drives us to the gospel. We are incapable of following these standards that Jesus gives us. And that's why you need Christ. That's why you need his righteousness. For he is truly the righteous one. Through him your sins are forgiven. In him you can know righteousness. This is the work of salvation. In Hebrews, we read that God promises on oath to do so. And that's how we can be sure. This was the call to worship, Hebrews 6. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. God reassures us here on oath that we are heirs of the promise, that in Christ we have a new identity. Through him, we are part of God's family. And as a result, we should not be trying to impress people by our speech. Yes, they may make big statements about how great they are, but we don't need to lie in order to fit in. Now, you have something much greater much better in Christ. You're in relationship with God. You don't need to lie about that. No, instead, know the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and he will help control your speech so you are a truth teller, so that you reflect the God of truth whom you serve. So remember, in Christ's kingdom, you are to be righteous in how you speak. But thankfully in Christ, there is forgiveness through him, you are able to speak the truth. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are not righteous. We fall short of your standards. And this is so evident in how we struggle to speak the truth. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for our many lies, for often... We seek to impress others and said, Lord, that we would thank you now for who we are in you, that we are forgiven, that we have a new identity in Christ. And so as a result, that we would be confident in him and not intimidated by others. And so, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who works in us, who enables us, who sanctifies us. And so we speak words of truth. Help us to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in the blue psalm book to Psalm 15a. Psalm 15a, the psalmist asks a question, who can abide on God's holy hill? And we read here, the one whose heart expresses the truth, the one who keeps his promises even when it hurts. 
Well, that description fits none of us, but it does fit Jesus Christ. And so, in Christ, we can approach God the Father. So, let's stand and sing Psalm 15a.